This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut, Babette. We would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, from whose land we are broadcasting at Radio 3CR, and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row. Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Carly Dober and we would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, upon whose land we are broadcasting here at Radio 3CR, and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row in Sydney. On the Climate Action Show, we talk about what's hot and what's not with climate change. Please share the show if you like what you hear, and remember there can be no climate justice without First Nations justice. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Climate Action Show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia and on the podcast. Make sure to share the show if you like what you hear. Today my guest is Emma Brown, a climate campaigner for Just Stop It, a UK organisation. How are you going, Emma? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you so much for being on, even through the time difference. <laughs> um. You know, I know a lot of our listeners will probably be familiar with Just Stop It, but for those who might not be, can you please explain who the group is, who you all are? Yeah, so um, we're a quite new um, coalition of groups um, and we're all going under the banner of um, Just Stop Oil, which has like the one central demand of the UK government stop stopping the licensing and consents for new uh, fossil fuel projects. So we formed, um, I think the... The group um, formed in February um, and uh, we've taken the demand to the UK government and said that basically if they don't agree to the demand, we're going to um, cause disruption. And we've been doing that ever since. Yeah. Sustained disruption too. It's been radical. <laughs> so how, how did you become involved? What's your story, your connection to climate action? Yeah, so um, so I'm Emma. I'm I'm 31 years old, and I've kind of been um, obviously aware of the crisis and worried for a long time, and kind of going to marches and things. And I live up in Glasgow, so I was here for the COP26, and then I think afterwards, just feeling really like, what was that? <laughs> yeah. What even happened there? Um, so I think there was part of me that was sort of looking to to do something, um, and uh, I got given, so I work in the library in, in Glasgow and I got given a leaflet from a young person, like a student, and it just, the leaflet said on it, like, we're effed, uh, come to a talk, <laughs> what we're going to do about it. <laughs> and, and I thought, yeah, that rings true for me. I'm going to go along and see what it is. Um, and the talk was, um, so it's, I guess it's a similar talk to the one that uh, Extinction Rebellion do, the kind of... Um, our responsibilities at this time sort of talk and it obviously takes you on this emotional roller coaster where at first you're like 
actually really sitting down and really listening and hearing how bad the situation is and then and then kind of the second half of the talk was sort of telling us you know throughout history how have people coped in these odds and civil disobedience as being kind of maybe a last best hope um for kind of the societal sort of tipping point that we need um and and they kind of and they in that meeting they were kind of like asking us to commit to being arrested um and I think for me because the target was so linked to the to the uh, demand oil and gas infrastructure it really like made sense to me in a way that maybe I wouldn't have joined some of the previous campaigns um which I think we're all fighting for a worthy cause but this one just sort of really clicked with me um so so yeah so then I went to um uh, in April, one of it, uh, to a couple of the um, actions there, um, sitting outside the oil terminals um, and being arrested a couple of times. And I, and I always felt like I need to kind of see how each step feels and before I can kind of get more involved. Um, anyway, now I'm very involved. <laughs> the more involved you get, the more you kind of just think that this is the this is what I want to be doing with my time right now it feels mm. so urgent um and the campaign obviously has got quite a bit of um funding and backing from donations and supporters so it means that they are able to to pay people to be able to do some more of this mm. work and obviously climate work and actively you know the amount of funding that we have compared to the oil and gas companies ah. and the fossil fuel companies and the governments it's so minuscule mm. right you know, we, we, yeah, I think it's, it's really, yeah, it's really great to be able to actually spend like 50, 60 hours a week on this, you know. Yeah. Amazing. And I think it's really interesting how you cited that cause and effect, like we're going to be targeting this, the messaging is really on point. So that's that clear link, which can, you know, because as you said, a lot of campaigns can be a really, really great cause, but it is so vague because it's so interconnected in society. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think we've been doing like some more kind of what well, we call them like mobilizing actions, so some more like high profile ones, which is which is kind of just to to get people to get get the, the topic back in the news, and also to get people seeing us and and joining us. Um, but it is that way where you like I've been seeing some interviews where they go, are they targeting the oil paintings because they have oil in? And you just go, oh my god, like, <laughs> yes, <are>. that's what. <laughs> It's so hard for people to draw the like connections and draw the dots. It's like, no, the climate crisis affects everything in the whole world. That is why we are targeting every section of society. Oh, I love that. Um, now, it's incredible. I guess that's five months if you all started in February. That's an incredible um, growth really quickly, which not many climate campaigns get to achieve. What do you think is involved in that, or how do you think that's come to pass? Um, I think there was a, there's been a very kind of clear, I guess, strategy from the beginning. Um, I think that hmm, that's a very good question. Um, there's definitely a sense in this movement that we're running out of time, and I think that contributes to the feeling um and uh i think by sort of becoming a coalition of groups we've managed to get 
um, and having the funding as well. I think that's a really key part of it mm. um, that we've that we've managed to get kind of a big enough group of of really committed activists and be able to do the the expansion at the same time to keep those sorts of actions going. Um, and kind of we're always trying to kind of um, balance between mobilizing to get more people involved and keeping up the pressure with the actions. So I think we're kind of trying to do that quite um, strategically. Um, mm. And even so the more recent actions have involved less people, but doing more high profile things. So that's a way of not kind of, you know, um, using too much of mobilization time and using, you know, because the problem is we don't want to all end up in the clink. I want to continue pushing ahead. <laughs> so I think it's a delicate balance. And I mean, um, yeah, it's, and I think it is really good for mobilization as well that people can see that things keep happening. It's not, but mm. I, you know, I'm sure that there's been a lot kind of going on behind the scenes in the planning and kind of learning from Insulate Britain and learning from Extinction Rebellion and kind of taking lessons from that and we're also in mm. the a22 network so we're trying to share knowledge and um skills with other groups and just kind of work out what the best thing to do is with our kind of time and resources to keep the pressure up it's really interesting that you say that because you know time we are running out of time time really is of the essence every day and year that goes by the crisis gets more and more and more severe and significant and harder to turn the ship around um I was going to ask, what has the public kind of perception been from the start of the actions to now? Because they are getting more and more high profile. I've been loving it. <laughs> um, it's, it's always hard to tell a little bit because you have like the, I do a lot of leafleting and things. So you have the mm. kind of like person on the street experience. Then you, if you dare to look at the comments section, you know, that's another comments. level. Yeah. <laughs> It was interesting, the, the first part of the campaign where we, we blocked, I think it was, it was uh, the 10 um, infrastructure, oil infrastructure projects. And it actually took a, a while to break it into the news. Um, mm. because, and, but whatever, I mean, it, it's also so difficult to tell between the public and the media, because whatever mm. we do, we will say, oh, why are you disrupting oil terminals like well it's because it's oil you know why are you causing disruption to the ordinary person sort of thing I mean I do think from seeing um some of the interviews sometimes some some of the panelists now you know when you have like a kind of panel of um commentators um mm. there was one uh recently in the Jeremy Vine show um and the the kind of the younger woman that was on that panel was was going on to the other person that was sort of being ridiculous about how we were damaging artworks and we weren't damaging artworks but but she was like are you joking me you know my child is a baby right now like they're gonna you're worried about this why aren't you looking at the bigger picture so I do yep. think that that the more people here the more it's starting to break through mm. and I guess as you were saying because of that time pressure we don't have we don't have time to kind of worry too much about if we're setting things back because at the moment they're not going forward fast enough so it's <laughs> yeah. yeah and the paradox of the perfect protest there is none you know whatever you do because you aren't kind of adhering to the status quo like it's not going to be good enough so you may as well just go 
excuse my French, an Australian saying balls to the wall, like good with all, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. just because some people might not have seen or heard of the um, art protest, can you explain mm-hmm. to the listeners what that's been about? Yeah, so um, so we've had, a, a, you might, your listeners might have heard about the, the football protest that we did. So we were thinking, we wanted to target um, an art audience because um, I think, I mean, I come from like a studying art kind of background as well. And I think a lot of arty people think, oh, I'm very informed. That's, and that's enough, you know, like mm. about climate change. And uh, I had a discussion oh, yeah. about it. I had a discussion. I'm very informed. Um, mm. And that's enough. It's like, no, at this point, everybody needs to be an active citizen, not just an informed one. So um, so the idea was to target galleries um, across the UK. So we've gone to um, Glasgow, Manchester and London. Um, and, um, and we've chosen particular scenes particular paintings to kind of draw attention to the climate crisis and try and draw parallels mm. so um the one in scotland which is where i lived was called uh, my heart is in the highlands so it was a picture of a highland landscape and trying to also draw the parallels with like the highland clearances and mm. you know companies and corporations basically burning our land and burning people off them so two protesters in each site apart from the last one glued themselves to the frame of the painting so it's deliberately outrageous um, and spray painting underneath it but it's also not damaging the actual artwork itself Mm -hmm. Um, and later on we also had like a reimagined Hay Wayne um, painting where we kind of had you know a bucolic landscape and there being like a pollution and planes flying overhead and like an old washing machine dumping trucks um, and had like a double-sided tacky tape to kind of put that over the picture and then again to glue on um so that's the kind of uh disruption that we've been doing it's kind of deliberately outrageous but also like are you outraged at a frame compared to the climate crisis and that's what we're trying to get across in the the interviews from that that's amazing and it's so different to a lot of other protests as well. You know, it's really engaging and interacting with historical things. Being like, if you like this stuff, we need to do something because art, everything's going to disappear. So. Exactly. That's what we've been trying to get across. I think like I work in, as I said, I worked in a library and I'm interested in art and Mm. I find it really fascinating how we are kind of conserving these objects for a future that doesn't currently exist. Mm. And I think that's where like, that's where it's important that, everyone to some extent is an activist because say you're a conservator your purpose I guess is to conserve objects and at the present time that also involves standing up to the UK government investing in more fossil fuels because otherwise your your objects are not going to survive or if they do we're not going to care about them yeah (laughs) people will sell them for food yeah It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, conserving objects and not natural spaces or places that sustain life. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, amazing. Um, so, you know, what do Just Stop It want to do? Like, what will, what are your demands right now? So we've still kept to the same demand because the government, our UK government is currently, like, pushing ahead with the licensing and consents for 40 new oil and gas fields. It's crazy. Um, which is just crazy and they mm-hmm. they always trot out the same lies about it being to do with energy security or the ukraine and in the uk at the moment we've got like an 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're suffering from it as well, like an incredible cost of living crisis. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And the and our gas and electricity bills have gone up like incredibly it, 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 since April, which is when we also started the, the protest because we wanted to tie them in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next wave is in October, which is when the next wave of licenses go through. And it's also when our bills will go up another 50%. Um, and the, the government, they, like they do, they try and basically lie to the people to say that um, investing in new fossil fuels is going to bring down the prices, but it, it categorically won't. You know, even our own energy minister, Kwasi Kwarteng, has said that it won't bring down the prices because it's just a drop in the ocean. And our whole mm. problem is that we're reliant on these massively fluctuating markets and we don't even mm-hmm. own the the resources as like a, as a nation or citizens. Um, yeah, so, so we've got the exact same demand. The, the, unfortunately, the, the government is still ploughing ahead. They approved the new Jackdaw gas field recently, which people have been protesting against, like the Stop Cambo campaign. They've been campaigning against that for like, I don't know, however long it's been going on, like a year or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it's, and it's still, and it was pushed through just at 4.30pm, just as well, uh, yeah. the day for the Queen's Jubilee. Of so course. They're, trying to, they're trying to do these things that people would be just don't, aren't connecting the dots right now. Mm-hmm. To see that that these kind of what some people might see as boring decisions, you know, like, oh, they've approved the license for so-and-so that like, no, this is actually, it's going to have a material impact on you, you know? So, so we've got the same demand. We've got um, more actions coming up that we're going to be targeting the oil industry, um, which we we always are very upfront with the government. We're like, if you don't stop, we're doing Mm. this. They just can't stop us. Um, mm. and, then, and, and in October, we're going to be um, really bringing that demand to London and to like the seat of power and to Parliament. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what form that will take yet, but uh, <laughs> keep, keep your eyes peeled. Uh, That's yeah, fantastic. So we're, we're keeping on and we're going to try and mobilise and bring more people with us. Mm-hmm. There's a, a coalition march happening on the 23rd of July. But we've joined up with Jeremy Corbyn to try and also bring the unions on side because that's an interesting great in the UK, you know. Um, mm. so that's what we're to, yeah, build towards. Huge. Yeah, that's amazing. We're just going to take a short break and listen to some community announcements. have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home we'll drop them in at 3cr and put them in the books and boots bin books and boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional first nations communities and children across the country contact us at books and boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au we love a good book We're talking to Emma Brown, activist and campaigner from Just Stop Oil in the UK. What is, um, what has, I guess, and, you know, there might be different stories and different activists who have different outcomes, but what have some of the punitive or carceral reactions been from the state? Yeah, um, it's been quite um, random, I would say. Mm. Um, So a lot of people, if they're taking their kind of first action, it's been 
quite low risk actually, like often not really any consequences. But, but for the people that are more like visible and involved in the movement, um, for example, like one of my like colleagues in Scotland, um, who's an environmental scientist, who's kind of been very like at the forefront, they've had, uh, they've been really targeted by the police and kind of um, part of their bail conditions for, an, for, for something that they didn't actually do. So they were involved in like an oil terminal protest, but they were arrested at their home and charged with organizing like a small like street protest that was literally just a walk, but it was Gosh. unauthorized. And, um, and then part of their bail conditions were that they're not allowed to then attend any protests. So they've then been kind of picked up several times from that. And in fact, they were charged for the art action um, even though they were just leafleting like outside the building, they were charged with like spray painting and like criminal damage. And I think that case is going to be like a crown case with, with a jury. Um, oh my gosh. And yeah, and some people have been uh, like so Josh and Louis at the moment have been kept in remand uh, in prison since Formula One, so they'll be kept until April. Um, so so the the state are definitely ramping up the. Mm. the I, I think compared to what's happening in Australia, we've not faced those kind of severe consequences yet. That's interesting because I was, this is why I asked this particular question, because obviously mm. the JSI campaigns have been huge, amazing, creative, like really, really um, attention grabbing and effective in my view. Mm. Um, and what we've seen in Australia, that the state is really ramping up, it's disproportionate, mm. um, failing and um, just being generally heavy handed to all environmental and climate protests. You know, now um, protesters risk two years imprisonment or $22,000 fines for, yeah, because we had um, Blockade Australia who were Mm. doing a week of prolonged actions in Sydney, you know, walking on, protesting the fossil fuel industry, and Mm. the response was crazy, so crazy. And Because we we have, like, briefings, and often we can see that, like, you know, the actual possible repercussions of the art actions are 10 years in prison. I mean, Touchwood, we don't expect it to be anything mm, like that. That's crazy. But I wonder, it's crazy, isn't it? But so yeah. a lot of the time when we have like the legal briefings, I always sit there being like a bit. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. It feels like um, Victorian state. You know, it's like you've stolen a, a yeah. loaf of bread. Take Australia your for you. you know? <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> oh, it, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, and and are people, are people when they're being kind of faced with those charges, are you actually seeing them get those kind of those get those kind of charges when it reaches court or whatever? Or well, like some, a threat? I think it's more like a threat. They are holding people for a really long time or having really really intense bail conditions. I don't think those charges have been laid yet. One was thrown out of court for being so disproportionate for an ordinary, you know, quote unquote, good citizen. So there seems to be a disconnect from the court's perspective to what law enforcement and the government would like, ideally. But still, yeah, raids in homes, just crazy things, you know, which is, you know, effective, I guess. Mm -hmm. The state is getting spooked. Yes, they're worried. Mm. Mm. It's interesting you say about the disproportionate um, disproportionality because we... There was an action in Scotland when the when the Jackdaw protest, um, Jackdaw um, oil gas field, sorry, was approved, and some of our supporters went and threw paint on the building and like wrote on it, you know, like blood on your hands, you know, and um, 
one person that was kept in for court, Jen, they were trying to say that that was £600,000 worth of damage All just right. for some red paint. And that actually got thrown out because, mm. because the court could see that that was completely ridiculous. And compared to the actual damage of actually opening that gas field, you know. Mm. So, I mean, I guess it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a scary time, but it does feel like a, hopefully some kind of crux or like movement mm. change in the perspective, I guess, hopefully. I hope so too. Mm. I mean, what else would you like listeners to know about Just Stop Oil? Um. Oh, that's a good question. So we're, we're a youth-led campaign, which has been different from some of the previous ah. campaigns. So, so a, a lot of like decision making is also held by youth, um, and it's kind of like specifically like youth focused because I think I think it helps um, empower young people to mm. make their own decisions, um, and also I think it it helps with people not just thinking we're a bunch of old crusties. <laughs> um, you know <laughs> that we're you know and they can see that someone 19 mm. years old that's you know willing to face these consequences or in their 20s mm. you know you hope that it, it it brings people like into kind of reality of like why are these young people doing that so I think that's quite a change um in this campaign and I just wanted to ask ask you as well because I think in the UK with this like we have this kind of like island mentality where we still don't think it's going to affect us there's a lot oh. of articles about growing grapes and how it's going to be fabulous for wine and you know mm. adverts you know like, uh, newspaper articles of people I think because we've had historically such crap weather it's really hard for people to understand sometimes mm. what this actually means but obviously in, in Australia you're on the front lines of the crisis so is that like yeah I just wondered what that's I mean that must be really such an interesting question I mean do you have two hours to discuss this (laughs) (laughs) no we've excitingly um turfed as a country our really really conservative right-wing climate denying crazy government we have them the light version of them in power now now there was no climate models there was no reports into how climate change was going to impact us for nine years because the old government was like, no, let's just keep opening fossil fuel things. Like, let's let's burn it, baby. Um, so they have committed to 43% um, emissions reduction by 2030, but it's still nowhere near enough. So I think that even them being more open and aware that climate change is an issue, they're still also taking donations from the fossil fuel industry, opening new projects. Um, I still think that there is that kind of mentality. It's not going to touch us, or if it does, we'll be dead or near dead anyway when it happens. So it doesn't really matter because a lot of the politicians are older. But farmers, people who are living on coastal areas, even people living in the suburbs, I think they're seeing the weather like the weather disasters we've had areas getting flooded three times in four months so you know water 16 meters high intense stuff so I think that tipping point for Australia has Australians has occurred um yeah I, mean, I, I think people are feeling it yeah and people have like at least people have come so far as to vote for change but That's then right. hopefully if they see like well, the change is still not happening. Mm. Maybe that's a step closer to being like, we as people have to stand up for the change. 
know? <laughs> yeah. Because it's not going to come from us sort of sitting and wishing or being like, oh, yeah, I totally agree. It's like, I feel like the agreement is like, it's like uh, being at a comedy show and you're one of those people that don't laugh. It's like, it's <laughs> no help to us if you're not being vocal about it or if you're not mm-hmm. kind of joining, you know, I appreciate the moral support, but we, we need you to stand yeah. with us as well. Yeah. It's almost like spiritual bypassing. Well, you know, I voted, things will change and you just need to put the pressure on. So mm-hmm. agreeing. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, I just want to circle back to the um, JSI being a youth-led movement. I feel that sometimes that's a real benefit in just that kind of impulse to go big or, you know, go large with the actions. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I definitely think there's a bit more kind of like fearlessness mm. in the youth. I mean, there's definitely fearlessness in like the, the older generations as well. Mm. Um, but I think I think it's kind of bringing back a bit more of that punk attitude as well. Yeah. You know? Because in the past, like people, I was always like, where is my movement? Where is my social movement? You know, <laughs> like, you know, young people standing up for things and and being because we're, we're way more progressive and. And and we're we're not kind of we're not descended into cynicism, um, and kind of we're not too wedded to the establishment because, you mm. know, if the world was was absolutely a fair and wonderful place and it was just unfortunately going to end, you know, that's one thing. For this, right. for this, we're supposed to put up with it ending. Absolutely not, you know. And I think that that energy can come through from the youth a lot, quite a lot more. And I think it's. So many young people are so anxious and depressed about the future mm. with complete, they're completely right to be because it's stressful and it is depressing. But I think they, they have, the youth have so much potential to be that kind of force for change and to kind of bring some of that like... In the ruckus. Yeah, some of that mm. ruckus and some of that like, no, we're, we're just saying what is right and what is wrong. It's like... Um, we were, when we were at uh, the National Gallery, you know, the, the media were always like, oh, they disrupted a school trip. And like, that was terrible. So there's a group of 11 year olds there. But the 11 year olds, number one, probably the most exciting school trip they've ever been on. <laughs> and number two, they were applauding. They were applauding. Mm. Only adults that they could see that were like standing up for their future. And sometimes mm. it is like young people that can be like, no, actually, what's true like they can actually speak the truth and make it quite simple right. you can't cut carbon emissions by just burning more carbon and opening more mm-hmm. oil fields there's like a a kind of basic kind of that's just the truth that maybe mm-hmm. gets lost a little bit when older people start kind of going round in circles about like being more civil and polite in the discourse mm-hmm. than anything else yeah definitely and kind of mm-hmm. as if they can kind of double talk their way out of of physics you know yeah (laughs) physics simple bloody physics yeah what would what would you like to see what is your ideal future world future earth Mm -hmm. well I think like my ideal future would be that number one we get like a a huge shift in 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 the direction that we're going in but it's kind of like, it's more than that. It's, I think it's about people being able to make decisions about their lives on like a, a local community scale. You know, like, mm-hmm. like um, the UN Secretary General says, this could be the greatest peace project of the 21st century. Every person could have a role to play. Everybody could have a meaningful job. Everybody could be working on solutions. 
a lot of people there's amazing like untapped potential and creativity in 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 in, in everybody you know we could be uh, making community gardens, rewilding the landscape, um, working on ecology, people could be having jobs in renewable energy. It would also bring an mm. intense amount of like satisfaction and like well-being to people's lives to, to feel like they're contributing to a system that is restoring some of the earth's natural mm. systems and connecting with them. So I think like as well like that and also the shift from this unfortunate like the, the people in power I think they don't believe that we can do it but I believe that we can because mm -hmm. I believe that people in general want the best for each other I think we saw that from the pandemic people are willing to make sacrifices for the good of people they do and don't know and unfortunately our leaders are not those kind of people so they don't believe that we can do it but we can what are things that you would like to tell listeners how would you like want to kind of like mobilize them and inspire them wherever they're listening from mm -hmm. um I mean, I guess if they're listening to your program, they're already kind of pretty engaged. Um, I would say that there's the strength in numbers, but we've seen that through the actions that we've been doing, that the more of you there are, the less harsh consequences that they can take towards you because they don't have the room or the, the facilities, you know, to deal with us. So I think, you know, the, the more of us there are, the better. And to kind of join whatever groups that you can, you know, like when people are, are, are talking to you on the street here and, Sometimes maybe they're not quite ready for this kind of high stakes action, but they could come to the rebellion, you know, the XR do, or just kind of get involved and being involved in a group, in like a local group. So with our campaign, we have like local communities all across the UK. And I think that's so fundamental because mm -hmm. one of the main things that got me able to be involved was someone literally like looking at me in the eye and inviting me to something, someone asking me how I am at the door, someone inviting me to their house for a cup of tea and to talk about how I'm feeling. So those kinds of things are just as important in like building the, the strength and resilience that we need to, to be able to take action. They're just as important as like our strategies for like mm. civil resistance. So I think the building the, the grassroots community and joining some any kind of group that you can just to feel feeling part of something and 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 knowing that whatever you have to bring some to, to this to this fight is worthwhile whether that's like a post design whether that's you know like some kind of like brilliant idea or strategy for a target um whether whether you're a really good person to that's good at talking to people and getting your the message across that's an asset as well so that's what I would say to the people in Australia and and also like you're on the bloody front lines and like we're seeing we're seeing and we're trying to, to tell tell your stories here as well, because unfortunately here we're still in a bubble, but we understand that you're you know you're fighting the legal consequences and you're in the eye of the storm. So we appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Back to you, trust me on that one. Honestly, it's so inspiring. Is there anything that you haven't told us that you'd like to share with us? Um, so I guess earlier on in the campaign, we were, we were uh, targeting mobilising in universities, um, obviously because students have more time as well. Um, and we're going to be going back to them, I think, hopefully when term restarts again. So I think maybe that's a, that's a good kind of audience to, to look to in the in the fight as well mm -hmm. um I think I think we've got a lot to a lot to learn still in 
in how we mobilize different sections of society um, uh, because you know there's people you know in in um, in our kind of diaspora communities in the the UK that have got first-hand experience of the climate crisis or families mm. that have experience and I think right now we're not quite kind of connecting with them and I think that would be really important we've seen in movements in the past the connections that you make between people are so important um, and that's something I feel like we're still learning that's something I'm really interested in um, and I guess in, in Australia when you have you know the um, First Nation peoples that have that have been there protecting the land before you um, and kind of trying to foreground them and you know uh, like they've been fighting the battle for thousands of years and then we've come along and fucked it up. Oh, so, yeah. But um, yeah I think that's something like all of us environmental movements can really try and like learn from and also tr try and connect to you know um, as well um, that's something that I think is really important for our future I think if we are to succeed it's it's with everyone or I don't think we're going to succeed yeah. yep all in or forget about it mm. agreed mm. thank you so much for your time I'm so inspired and thank you so much for talking to the listeners I'm sure they are going to be so inspired as well um, it's been fantastic watching Just Stop Oil just do everything you've been doing and I cannot wait to watch as the year progresses so thank you thank you thank you <laughs> oh thank you so much it's been wonderful to not have a right-wing Tory kind of <laughs> press person to speak to normally I'm like huh, pivot like, you've got to say. you're lying so it's really nice to actually get to to just talk to someone <laughs> so thank you so much Carly just a little break before you get the next right-wing Tory <laughs> Beautiful. Well, everyone, again, that was Emma Brown, campaigner and activist from Just Stop Oil in the UK. Thank you again. Have you heard of long COVID? If you or someone you know have had COVID-19, you may still experience symptoms weeks or months later. There are many symptoms of long COVID, but the most frequent are extreme tiredness, shortness of breath, and muscle aches and joint pains. Anyone can experience long COVID, including children. You can find information in your language on the Health Translations website, healthtranslations.vic.gov.au. Just type long COVID as a keyword. A 3CR supporter. Our next guest today is Maddie from the Scarborough Gas Action Alliance. Maddie is an activist and campaigner, and we're about to hear all about the Scarborough Gas Action Alliance right now. Hi, Maddie. How are you going? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Excited to hear about all of this. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's very exciting to be on the radio. <laughs> um, I guess firstly for our listeners who might not know, about the group, can you explain who the Scarborough Gas Action Alliance are and why you all got together? So we are a kind of very cross-sectional alliance of environmental activists in WA. Um, so we've got people from Greenpeace, from XR, from 350.org, you know, people who've been involved in GetUp, people who are just passionate about this issue, who are coming together um, and our mission is to take on one of the giants of oil and gas in Australia, um, Woodside Energy, who are currently proposing 
to um, put into place a enormously environmentally devastating project, the building the Scarborough gas field um, and extending the life of the Northwest gas shelf off the coast of Australia, which is one of it's Western Australia's most polluting industry project and um, is one of the most polluting industry projects in Australia as a whole. Oh, yeah, I guess, you know, for people who might not understand the scale of the project, can you speak a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's kind of off the charts bonkers how enormous this thing is. So um, the Woodside Energy, they, there is currently a, a large gas field development off the Borup Peninsula. So that's in the north of WA um, in a place called Carafa. Um, and that gas field has been there being developed for, a, I believe, a couple of decades now, if if not longer. Um, the majority of that gas actually gets exported. It does not benefit Western Australian citizens. We have people who are struggling to fill up their tanks and the gas that Woodside Energy, one of our largest oil and gas um, corporations in Australia um, is is mining up there is actually being exported overseas. So that gas shelf is coming to the end of its life by 2030. Um, and we're in a really exciting time now because in June, Mark McGowan, the premier of WA, who we have had a Labour premier for the last couple of years, even under the, the kind of national liberal government, He's announced for the first time that Western Australia is going to have its own emissions targets, uh, that Western Australia is going to aim to cut our carbon emissions um, by un- like below 80 percent of 2020 levels by 2030. Now, that's amazing. It's mm. quite frankly embarrassing that we're seven years behind the curve for Western Australia to actually have its own emissions targets and to start setting a net zero goal. But the fact that we now have one is an enormous step forward. It's an absolutely enormous step forward. Um, But we now have this incredibly Kafkaesque situation where Woodside Energy has filed um, an application to extend the life of this gas shelf for another 40 years until 2070. 40 years until Uh, 2070 including building a specific um, new gas field that would be called the Scarborough Gas Project. So the Scarborough Gas Action Alliance, um, along with the Gaslit campaign and the Say No to Scarborough and a number of sort of allied campaigns in WA, are opposing the extension of the Northwest Gas Shelf as a whole, and also specifically the Scarborough Gas Field, which is going to be one of the major new developments um, within Woodside's proposed project of death. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Woodside really said... I see your zero and I'm going to double down, you know, Absolutely. double or nothing. Um, we ha- it, it, It's completely unhinged because this project alone mm. is going, if, you know, it goes ahead, um, at the moment it's under appeal. Um, and we had a lot of appeals submitted um, this month. The deadline was was um, actually last night as we're speaking on the 21st of July. But we're very, very hopeful the project's going to go under appeal um, after initially being approved by the EPA. Um, if it goes ahead and um, emissions go as projected, it's going to release 4.4 billion tonnes of carbon into the atmosphere. Now, we're in a situation where um, the IPCC has been really, really clear that globally we cannot have any more oil and gas 
new projects that those projects are incompatible with a livable future for the planet and for Australians. We're also in a situation where Australia, even under the Liberal government, right, that's how that's how status quo this is now, had adopted a net zero by 2050 target for Australia. Now, this project alone, Scarborough Gas and this gas field extension alone, would blow past that target within a decade. So mm. we simply cannot afford to allow this project to go ahead if we are going to meet Australia's like internationally and nationally stated targets for our own carbon emissions. Um, and it's just not a situation that's benefiting or making sense for WA or for Australia as a whole. You know, like I've said, the majority of that gas is earmarked for export. It's not going to go into people's tanks here at home. Those jobs are going to become obsolete within the coming decades because they're pouring billions into maintaining aging oil and gas infrastructure. When Mark McGowan is saying we need to be investing in renewables right now, and he's the WA government is going to put aside $3.5 billion into renewables. So that's letting down those communities. That's letting down those workers who aren't going to have sustainable futures in that industry. And it's letting down the people of WA. And on top of that, because it can never just be one thing, it's always got to be a double whammy of of just terribleness. Yeah, it's also going to threaten the Murrajuga National Park. So um, if people aren't aware... Um, I actually, until I came to live in WA, even though I am an Australian citizen, I know I don't sound like it. <laughs> this is actually one of the oldest and largest stores of petroglyphs anywhere in the entire world. There are over 1 million Aboriginal petroglyphs going back over 50,000 years on the Burrup Peninsula, um, it's really known as Murrajuga, and the traditional custodians there, um, including the Murrajuga Aboriginal Corporation, um, have been, you know, up in arms defending and protecting that land, that sacred site, you know, for, for, for generations Um, It's very much not a relic of ancient history. It's a modern, dynamic, Mm -hmm. sacred site that is of, you know, contemporary relevance to all of the indigenous communities that live there. It's also a site of incredible ongoing scientific research. I mean, you can imagine like finding like having a million petroglyphs going back 50,000 years. I mean, you know. In the UK, people go batty over Stonehenge and that's like 6,000 years. You know, forget that. This is unbelievable. Like the wealth of human knowledge and history and culture that is stored in these petroglyphs. There are images of animals that have previously gone extinct. You know, it allows us to study like how culture has developed over time. So this project, unfortunately, is also going to threaten that as well um, through like the uh, increasing acidic rain that may happen in the region. Um, as well as kind of the general infrastructural building. And unfortunately, there just isn't enough research in that area yet to be able to say that actually this is safe. There are genuine scientific concerns and risks to this project and the community is not happy about it. Um, They are, you know, fighting to protect that heritage um, led by a campaign called Save Our Songlines, which has been, you know, coming down to Perth and delivering petitions to the government to the infant minister, you know, leading marches on their own country to try and fight for the rights to protect their own heritage and not have it destroyed. Yeah, it's it's just, it's mental. Yeah. 
it is completely mental. When did you, how did you get involved in climate activism and sustainability campaigning? Um, initially, I was, as a sort of young child, a bit of a climate warrior that was one of those very annoying children that was sort of always on a rampage about global warming. Um, Love it, yeah. Yeah. When I went through a period in my sort of teens and early 20s of being really disillusioned and becoming quite overwhelmed with climate anxiety, which I think a lot of us millennials and Gen Z are, and, and, you know, old and older people as well, older activists, obviously, also really, really experience this, Um, you know, feeling that kind of hopelessness in the face of a world that didn't seem to want to actually make any of those kind of structural changes. Um, But over the last two, three years, I've really gotten involved again, initially in the UK and then since in WA after I've moved here to to be with my boyfriend. Um, And um, yeah, I I initially got involved because I kind of woke up one day and realised that having the negative mindset was actually creating a feedback loop where you feel very hopeless and you don't want to do anything positive because you feel like it's not worth it. Um, but having making the active choice to have hope actually provides that kind of spark of motivation, which then motivates you to do positive things, which then creates more of a sense of purpose and can lead to greater things. And I've realized that since being involved again, I felt so much more fulfilled. I initially got involved again with Extinction Rebellion um, in the UK, and then I've kind of um transferred to sort of wanting to focus on these specific projects which I think are so meaningful and impactful when they're targeting a specific project or a specific issue um yeah so since I've come to Perth I've kind of pretty quickly got involved in say no to Scarborough and the Scarborough Gas Action Alliance you found your radical hope yes absolutely and and Mm. I it is really amazing once you start to foster that hope within yourself you start to find the more positive signs out there and you start to see the little winds happening around you and you start to want to do more and I think that's such a you know great message for people to to take back and think you know actually you don't have to wallow in that despair and choosing to have joy and choosing to feel hopeful in the face of this overwhelm is actually an act of radical activism in itself because you know, these corporations, they want to beat us into submission. They want to overwhelm us with this stuff so that we all feel like we have to give up. And, you know, there are elements of the media, especially, you know, the Murdoch-owned media, which are absolutely hand-in-hand part and parcel with that. They know that by overwhelming us with this negative information, people feel anxious and overwhelmed. And then everyone, you know, they're able to continue with business as usual. Choosing to reject that negativity and choosing to have hope and continue to feel joy in the wonder that is planet Earth that we still do have and cherish um, is a radical act of activism in itself. And it is so, so important. For listeners who might want to get involved and support even from different states, how do they do that? So um, I'm very, very hopeful right now that because we've had so many appeals submitted to the Northwest Shelf Gas Extension, that what might happen is that the Environmental Protection Agency opens up a public consultation. If that happens, we need as many people to write in as possible. Um, And there absolutely will be briefing notes provided by the Climate Council Action Network um, and by Say No to Scarborough um, if and when that happens um, for people to get involved and submit their own appeals online to uh, the Environmental Protection Agency's consultation. 
at the moment, while we're hopefully waiting for that to happen, um, something very simple that you can do today is um, go online and email the Environment Minister, Tanya Pillsbrook, and ask her to take action to save Marajuga National Park and to stand with the Aboriginal people um, that live there and call it their home, um, not just from Woodside, but also from Perdaman, a new fertiliser factory um, that was going to look to be built there, and which they were already planning to start digging up some of the petroglyphs and moving them so that they wouldn't be completely like the situation Mm. we have with those beautiful caves two years ago that got blown to smithereens um so Mm. we had an amazing win um i think tanya pillsbrook has been pretty vocal over the last sort of week about how shocked she is at the state of the degradation of the australian environment under the last 10 years of liberal government and she's actually caused an emergency pause to the Perdaman project while she gathers more evidence to see if she needs to put an emergency delay on it to do further assessment. To save our songlines.com.au, I believe, um, and take a look at some of the amazing work that those activists up on the Borough Peninsula are doing to protect their heritage. Amazing. Is there anything that you want to add that I haven't asked that you'd like listeners to know? Yeah, I just think that it's so important to hold on to the fact that we have, for the first time, you know, we've had this sea change in the last national election with so many teal independents being elected. Um, and as well as the overturning of the ScoMo government, I think it's really clear from the election of those candidates that climate is a massive issue at the forefront of everyone's minds. So I think it's really positive to hold on to the fact that clearly this 10 years of brainwashing hasn't worked, right? People mm-hmm. are waking up to the fact that this is a serious issue. And knowing that you can genuinely make a difference within your own um, community by getting involved in local campaigns is really, really positive. Like, it's very easy to feel overwhelmed because there's so much stuff going on all around the world all at the same time. It's much Mm -hmm. healthy. It can be much healthier for you. I find if you just focus on what's close to home and put your energy into that, we we can each look after our own patch then the bigger picture is going to come together uh, and holding these regulatory bodies like the environmental protection agency accountable when they essentially rubber stamp projects that they know are terrible and fly in the face of all their own environmental regulations um yeah is is really really important i'm certainly going to email tanya plibersek myself today and just Woo! say hell no guess it's got to go <laughs> i'm sure many of our listeners will do the same Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Maddie. So once again, that was Maddie from the Scarborough Gas Action Alliance all the way in WA. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's been great to talk to you. The The Environmental Protection Agency initially greenlighting this Northwest Shelf gas extension was just joke. this. It was an absolute joke. So mm. to be clear, Australia wrote the book on how to do comprehensive and progressive environmental impact assessments. The fact that the Australian Environmental Protection Agency is then not following the global Mm. best practice that was set by Australia just flies in the face of all common sense and logical reasoning. And we had people from the EPA coming out and saying, look, but we've imposed these conditions on Woodside where it's going to if they, you know, if if they fulfill those conditions, if, uh, Mm. you know, it's going to abate. 220 million tonnes of carbon dioxide in the face of a 4.4 billion tonne emissions load. I'm like, this is like that moment from iconic 2004 movie. Um, 
<laughs> Team America World Police, <laughs> where they're saying, don't worry, everyone, we got the terrorists. And meanwhile, behind mm. them, the Eiffel Tower is going to yeah. be crashing down on top of the city. This is a situation we have here. Um, mm. that, that kind of obfuscation of reality mm. and that denial of responsibility has, has got to stop. And, you know, these mm. are agencies that are supposed to you know they have they have legislation that they're supposed to be enacting and they're supposed to be here protecting us in our environment so holding them accountable and calling them out for doing an absolutely shoddy job um yeah is really going to hit them where it counts the mental health system in victoria is currently undergoing transformational reform and for the first time these reforms center people with lived experience of mental health challenges in the design and delivery of the new system so how do we then ensure that lived experience engagement is genuine and not tokenistic? And what are some of the structural changes that need to occur to encourage people with a lived experience to want to participate? These are some of the questions we will be exploring in this year's Wellways Public Lecture on Thursday, May 26 at the Wheeler Centre. The keynote speaker is Debbie Hamilton, a systemic mental health advocate. And the evening will also include a panel discussion with lived experience and governance experts and the launch of Vimeac's Consumers Leading in Governance pilot program. This is a free event, but bookings are essential. To book your ticket to the in-person event or online stream, visit lecture.wellways.org and follow the links to the booking page. That's lecture.wellways.org. Wellways supports 3CR. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111 500. That's 1300 111 500. Wellways supports 3CR. This is cold. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. It's cold. It's cold. Tune in every Monday at 5pm to hear the Climate Action Radio Show.